My name is Caleb, and I serve here as one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. I am thrilled to be with you this morning as we continue on in a study looking at specifically the book of Proverbs. And I just want to give a shout out to the team at the Bible Project for making material like what you just watched uh, available to uh, the whole world for free. And if you are wanting to do deeper study, or if you're maybe new to studying the Bible, I want to highly recommend the Bible Project. They got hundreds of videos like that uh, that help give overviews of books of the Bible, and they do uh, deep dive themes uh, into the Bible as well. Uh, today, we're continuing on in a series called uh, Walking Wise. Let me see if I could pull it up here. Sorry, I think I messed that whole thing up. Technology, I love you. All right, hold up. We did it, family. Sorry about that. Uh, So we're in a series called Walking Wise, and we're looking at different aspects of the book of Proverbs to find uh, deep and profound wisdom for the walk of life. So one of the things that we've talked about throughout the series and that you'll find actually throughout the Bible is that uh, one of the, the ways to imagine life, and especially life following Jesus, is walking, walking a path. In fact, Uh, Christianity, before it was ever called Christianity, was called the way. And the idea was is that it was walking a certain way. So if you've ever heard the word like a disciple or discipleship, that is someone who follows a teacher, follows uh, a leader. So following Jesus with something that we do step by step, moment by moment. And today uh, we're going to get into the book of Proverbs, which covers all sorts of stuff. The book of Proverbs covers money, vocation, school, retirement, relationships, family stress, friends, enemies, marriage, sex, children, and parents. And I just want to ask you a question. I've asked it, I think, the last couple weeks. Uh, When you think about your problems, when you think about the difficulties in your life, when you think about the frustrations that you face and the big questions of your time... Are they not related to something on this list? So, so to put it another way, how many of us have problems that are listed up here? Okay, so uh, if you don't have problems, uh, I just want to encourage you to spend some time meditating on your life for the next 30 minutes. But for those of us who have problems... For those of us who have problems, especially problems related in here, I want to invite you into something uh, that, again, we've done. So if you've been here the last couple weeks, you're going to see this coming. There's one thing, there's one image, there's one concept that if we could just meditate on, if we could just ingrain this concept into our hearts, uh, we would have a deep and profound wisdom to face many of the problems that we face. And that one image, when I put it up on the screen, you're going to see it and you're going to say, of course. You're going to see it. And you're going to say, of course. It's going to make so much sense to you, I won't even need to do the rest of the sermon. But I have to. I have a quota to meet. (laughs) Sermons per year, so thank you for suffering this. Okay, so the the one image that if we were just to meditate and if we were to think about it, it would help us to navigate all these problems, but specifically this one. You ready? It's scales. Of course, of course it scales. Now, uh, for some of us, we might not be familiar with this image, but this is, uh, there, there is a, for some of us, uh, the scale that we're used to is the one in our bathroom that we're angry at. 
familiar with that. Same basic concept, but the scale's like this. Uh, the idea is, is that if you were to weigh out a product, so especially in the time of the Bible, if you were to weigh, weigh out like wheat, or uh, uh, last week we talked a lot about cabbage, if you were to pile up all the cabbage, you would have a, a standard, a true standard, that would tell you how much it weighed. So there would be like a standard in the marketplace, and that standard weight would be like, you know, a, let's just use our own uh, concept, one pound. And you would have that one pound, and that would be the standard one pound. And so if you were selling goods, and someone came up and said, and they said, how much is the cabbage? You said, oh, it's, it's a dollar a pound. How do they know they're going to get a full pound? The standard right? The true standard. There would be a weight, and that would be what everyone would recognize, that's a pound. Now, if you were a conniving uh, person in the marketplace, what you would do, because you would want to sell more cabbage, uh, excuse me, less cabbage for more money, right? That's actually what you would hope to do. And so if you wanted to cheat people, what you would do is you would get a weight and you would shave some of it off. So it would actually weigh less than a pound so that you could sell the product, right? You would cheat the system, although the person buying the cabbage would think that they're getting the full measure, but in reality, they're getting less than what they paid for. Now, I'm going to pause. That, what I just described, the scales, that's like back in the olden days, right? We moderns would never have an issue like this. Now, We're going to go hard on the paint this morning because, and here's why, because we live in an individualistic, consumeristic, capitalistic society. And and as everyone in here is just like, oh my goodness, is he going to critique those things? I'm not going to, but the Bible is. And I'm just a guy here telling you what I think the Bible says, and you can figure out what you want to do with it on your own. I also want to say this, for my free market capitalists in the room, I grew up in free market capitalism, and uh, I like a lot of its benefits. In fact, I got this shirt because of it. And I want to just say a word real quickly, especially in this particular cultural moment. There's a lot of voices out there that will say things like, if you critique individualistic, capitalistic consumerism, uh, then you're somehow anti-American. You're somehow actually anti-Christian. I've heard people say that Christianity promotes individualistic, consumeristic, free market capitalism. And I'm not so sure about that. And here's why. The scripture is constantly critiquing some of the values that we hold dear. In fact, one of the values that many leaders in our particular cultural moment will say out loud is this statement, greed is good. I have heard some of our leaders say those words. And when I read my Bible, do you know what it doesn't say? Greed is good. In fact, there are constant warnings to those of us who might be tempted to look at material wealth as something more than it's designed to be. So we're not going to, we're not, uh, so, so to critique is totally biblical. I'll just put it another way. Um, do you think that our current cultural moment has nailed godliness? So there might be some critiquing that needs to be done. And so I just want to invite you into this. Uh, this hurts me just as much as it hurts you. I have a bank account that I have to think through just like you have a bank account that you have to think through. And so let's commiserate together, shall we? As we meditate 
on the scales. Now, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 11, verses uh, 1 through 10, I think. And I want to invite you there, as you saw in the video, this is a section of the Proverbs that's a little more pithy. It kind of, every other line kind of picks up a new topic. So, so when you think about like Proverbs in general, this is definitely in that literary genre where everything's kind of little bits of wisdom uh, that you can take, you can pick up, you can look at it, you can think about it, you can pray through it, meditate on it, and then there'll be another piece of wisdom, you can do the same thing. So we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 10, we'll kind of focus on a handful of them, but I just want to notice that Proverbs is written differently than many of the other books of the Bible in this, that the big section of the book of Proverbs, you can just take in bite-sized chunks, and it's designed to do that. I would caution you to do that with the rest of the Bible because the majority of the Bible is actually designed to be written in one uh, fluid motion. But here in Proverbs, it's, I think it's just a little bit okay to just take out some of these and look at them. And so let's take a look. Remember, what was the image that I said if we meditated on, we would find great wisdom as it relates to scales. Okay, this is where that comes from. Dishon- I just want you to notice here, dishonest scales. Remember that idea of like falsifying the weight so you could sell less cabbage for more money? Okay, dishonest scales, notice this, dishonest scales are what? Detestable to whom? Cheating someone in the marketplace is an abomination to God. Is that strong language? It's very strong language. Here we see, right here, the opening salvo in Proverbs chapter 11 is dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is what? God delights in justice in the marketplace. God delights when righteousness rules in your business dealing. God finds it an abomination when in our business dealings, in our economic dealings with one another, we cheat each other. Let me put it another way. God, as revealed in Scripture, is exceptionally passionate about economics. God, is very, God seems to be very involved and interested in how his people deal economically with one another. So there's this idea that uh, categorically we can kind of have these boxes. There's like my religious box, then there's like my economic box, then there's my family box. And I just want to notice in the book of Proverbs, God does not seem to think that way. In fact, God seems to, throughout all of the scriptures, seems to believe that like the whole cosmos is his. And as one old theologian put it, that there is not one square inch that exists in the cosmos that he doesn't claim lordship and dominion over. All right, so as we think about our economics and our economic dealings with one another, let us remember that dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord. Now, for some of us, we're going to have a lot of questions about this. I want to invite you today. Uh, There's a couple of things I just want to draw your attention to. Number one, this whole idea comes from the truth that we find in the book of Genesis. And if you've never done a deep dive study in the book of Genesis, we have one. It's actually starting today at 11 o'clock. It's a four-part study that will meet every other week. And during uh, during the weeks in between, you basically listen to a handful of podcasts on Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, etc. 
etc., from different traditions within the Christian faith, and then you'll gather together to have a, a deeper dialogue about that opening section of the Bible. If you've never done a deep dive in the book of Genesis, I want to highly recommend uh, this study that begins today. Uh, you can find more information in your handout. It's just the Genesis study. I can't remember off the top of my head what room it's in. Does anybody know? Want to help me out? The Oasis Room. And doesn't that sound like a fun room? The Oasis Room, right? It sounds wonderful. So I highly recommend that. If you just want to stop over today and check it out, they're going to do a little bit of a heads up and an overview of what that study is going to look like. Again, I, I love the book of Genesis, and I would love for you to engage in that study. Uh, the second thing is today, after uh, this hour, we're going to gather in here at 11 o'clock for a deep dive study. And one of the things that comes up consistently in Proverbs is this idea of justice or social justice or societal justice. And we're going to do a deep dive into what the Old Testament in particular, uh, how the Old Testament uh, conceives of and imagines and talks about uh, social justice. So that'll be here at 11 o'clock. The Genesis study is in the Oasis Room. There's a bunch of other great studies and discussion groups going on that Lacey uh, mentioned just a few moments ago. And you can find all that in your bulletin. If you're joining us online, you can find that at dsbc.church and just click the events tab up at the top. The Proverbs continues. When arrogance comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes what? Now, here's the jam, uh, consumers. Arrogance, as it relates to how we approach money, will only lead to our destruction. When we approach our money, our economic dealings with one another, with arrogance. I know all the things. I listen to Marketplace on the radio. <laughs> I know what the word margin means, <laughs> right? Like if you're there, right, I can do math, right? So haughtiness, arrogance. I don't actually know that much about economic dealings, so I'm just kind of making up what I imagine uh, arrogant people in that space do. I don't know math. Um, pastor, you know. Uh, so when arrogance comes, right, disgrace follows. So, so arrogance, so as it relates to our economic dealings with one another, I just want to invite you into a humble approach that, that it may well be that the Lord has something still yet to teach us about our economic dealings with one another. Arrogance always in the book of Proverbs leads to destruction. Now, I just want to notice something really quick. Did you notice how we went from the just scales, our delight to the Lord, and then now we're talking about arrogance and humility? So just notice that these are, these are a, they're categorically a little bit out of sorts. And here's the deal about Proverbs. Uh, can I Bible nerd with you just real quick? This is super Bible nerdy. Okay, so check this out. The second half of Proverbs, roughly chapter 10 on uh, to uh, 31, it, it's very choppy. And, and, I, and, and theologians and uh, scholars have tried to figure out what is the, the theme? How, how is Proverbs structured? And, and this is just a, a thought. I'm not saying that this is, you know, thus saith the Lord, but I, I really like this thought. Uh, one uh, theologian, uh, Tremper Longman, noticed that, that the Proverbs seem to come at you chaotically. As you're just reading through the Proverbs, it seems to be kind of random chaos, addressing random issues. And one of the things that he noted is this. Perhaps that's by design, because that's how life comes at you. One moment you're dealing with an economic crisis, the next moment you're dealing with a crisis about your family, the next moment you're dealing with a crisis about something else. And so it may well be that Proverbs is actually structured like life. It just hits you different every moment. 
And I actually, as I've meditated on that for the last few months, I've thought, oh, that's, that's really brilliant, actually. And so it may be, or it may just be random chaos. I don't know, but I wanted you to think about it, and Bible nerd time over. Someone just turned to their neighbor and said, the whole thing sounds Bible nerdy today. Okay, I got you. Okay, so let's keep going. The integrity of the upright guides them. Notice the language of guide. Notice the pathway, the walk, the guiding language. Uh, But the perversity of the treacherous destroys them. Wealth is not profitable in a day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. Put it another way, uh, all the money in the world cannot give you one more day of life. If it's your time, it's your time. And so it's not our wealth that we put our hope in. Uh, This is something that Christians have tended to sing about a lot. Uh, There's one of my favorite songs. uh, It goes like this. uh, My hope is built on nothing less than my pocketbook and 401k. It's a little choppy there at the end, but you get the idea. Get the idea. It's really choppy. No, this song goes like this. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Some of you guys have been to church before. So there's this idea here in the text that integrity and righteousness are the things that we focus on that are worth their weight in gold. This idea, too, of righteous and unrighteous, that, that's, it's, it's, uh, in, in, is, is that like an over, is that a religious word? Like in, if you were to ask the average Phoenician, is righteousness a religious word? Help me out. Yeah. In, in the Bible, it's not really. It, it's not an exceptionally religious word. It's a totally normal word. And I just want to just notice this. It just means rightness. And again, thinking about the pathways, right? So uh, if you're walking along the path, there's two paths. Thank you, Led Zeppelin. There's two paths you can go down. You can go down the path that God, of God's wisdom, or you can go down the path of your own wisdom. And walking, which is oftentimes referred to as the broken path, or to put it another way, sin. We translate it sometimes as sin. It's walking the broken path. And walking the broken path always leads to destruction and death. But walking the, check this, right path, rightness, walking the right path will lead to life. And so righteousness and justice are two ways of talking about, as the video said, talking about walking the path that is running along the thread line of wisdom woven into the cosmos. That's righteousness. That's justice. And so, walking along the wise path that God has woven through the cosmos leads to life, and walking unrightness will lead to destruction. Wealth is not profitable on the day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. Uh, And by the way, uh, I I just want to give a huge shout out to our student ministries. Uh, They just got done late last night with a two-day Uh, overnight weekend experience here on campus and throughout the valley, and they crushed it. Uh, Our our leadership and our student ministries did such a great job, and one of the things that they leaned into this last couple days is the names or the labels that God gives to us. And there's all these labels that other people can put on us. As we're talking even this morning, there's labels like consumer, right, wealthy, poor, And yet the label that God gives to his people is beloved, child. And also, there's this, because of Jesus, righteousness or righteous ones. 
So uh, huge thanks to our student ministries. They did such a great job, and I, I love how they're helping uh, our students follow Jesus and discover uh, the path that he has for them. Uh, the Proverbs continues, the righteousness of the blameless clears his, what's the word? You guys tell me about it. You see it there? Path. Clears his path. Again, the righteousness clears the path, but the wicked person will what? Fall. So I just want you to imagine that there's two paths, and the unwise path, the, the path that is wise in my own eyes, ultimately leads to a cliff that ends in death. That's the working metaphor here. If at every crossroads of your life you have a choice, you can choose the wise path, the godly path, the righteous path, or you can choose the path that seems wise in your own eyes, but that path ends in a cliff. Now, I do have a legitimate question for those of you who are from the Phoenix area. Uh, How many of you all have ever gone hiking or walking in the desert? And as a Phoenician, what's the one thing you got to take with you? Water, right? So I don't know how many times, if you're from out of state or not from Phoenix, I totally, I'm not trying to mean this as a slight. I'm not trying to poke fun. However, there are people, I hear about it on the news frequently, there are people who will come in from out of state, maybe a place where water is in, you can just get some, um, and, and they'll go for a quick hike. People will be like, oh, it's, it's cold outside, it's beautiful. And then, and then like a helicopter has to go get them because they have passed out uh, while doing the hike because they primarily, they forgot to bring the water. Okay, so I just want you, so you guys, you guys are familiar, water is like requirement to live. Okay, it's, it's a big deal, especially if you live in Phoenix. Okay, so I want you to imagine the book of Proverbs is telling you life is a hike. And you will journey long enough to where you're going to run out of water. And Proverbs is like an experienced hiker talking to you about the path that leads to water. They, they might say to you, hey, listen, you're going to go for a hike Number one, you should bring water with you, but eventually you're going to run out of water because you're doing like a a three-day hike. And so I want you to pay attention to the path you're on. Every crossroads, notice the path with the little three rocks stacked up on it. And every crossroads you come to, I've marked out for you a path. And if you follow my path, it'll lead to water by the end of your journey every day so you can refill your water. Okay? Does that make sense? Because if you don't have water, what happens to you? You die. Okay. Okay. Proverbs is like that experienced hiker saying, follow my path. Now, the experienced hiker also is going to say this. Now, you're going to come to many of these crossroads where you're going to look down the path that I have marked out for you, and you're going to think, this way is a shortcut. This other direction actually might lead to life. You know, what does that old hiker know? And the old hiker is going to say to you, the experienced hiker is going to say to you, listen, You're going to come to these crossroads, and you're going to see my path marked out, and you're going to think to yourself, this does not look good. This other path looks easy. This other path looks more beautiful. This other path looks like it leads to life. And I just want to tell you that there have been many hasty, unwise, and inexperienced hikers that have chosen that path thinking that they could find a shortcut, and it ended up leading to their death. If you'll allow me to abuse the metaphor... Every one of those paths ends in a cliff with a giant pit of poisonous snakes at the bottom. (laughs) 
And you might think that that path at your crossroads, you may believe to your own self that that way will lead to life, that that way will lead to wealth, that that way will lead to security and safety. But I'm here to tell you, follow my path. It will lead you to water. Proverbs is saying to us, follow the path even when, and and by the way, isn't this how it always is? When we're faced with the choice of doing the right thing, walking the right path, walking righteously and unrighteously, doesn't the unrighteous path seem easier, seem like a shortcut, seem like it's actually going to work out for us in the end? When you're the one in the marketplace with that little weight, Doesn't it seem good in our own eyes to shave off some of that weight so we can keep some of the cabbage for ourselves? Doesn't it seem good in our own eyes? The choice, in the book of Proverbs, the choice between good and bad is made difficult because the bad choice often looks good to us. And so there's this constant refrain, choose the path of wisdom, choose the path of righteousness. Let's keep going. The righteous of the upright rescues them, but the treacherous are trapped. What's the language? Trapped, 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 trapped in their own desires. Just notice that language. Trapped in their own desires. Now, (coughs) Bible nerd time. What I'm about to tell you is super weird. And you're going to be like, And some of you are going to be like, did this come out of Pastor Kalo's peyote vision quest that he took last year? And I'm here to tell you that no, it did not. It comes from a book of the Bible called the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation does seem like the writings of a man who's recently had a fever dream in the wilderness because he chose the path that didn't have water. I get it. But the book of Revelation is a... um, It's a cartoon. It's an exaggerated image of what's actually going on in the world. Uh, Are you guys familiar with the term political cartoon? Revelation is a political cartoon. It's using crazy imagery in order to lampoon or, or to satire or to critique what's really going on in the world. And one of the images that runs throughout the book of Revelation is this idea of the beast and Babylon. And Babylon is this epitome of uh, chaos evil. And it uses the beast and the dragon. Again, it's kind of like a political cartoon. But there's this one line, actually it's this one section in the book of Revelation that reads like this. This is Revelation 18, 11. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over the fall of Babylon, which is uh, the worldly powers, the kingdoms of this world. It's a, kind of an amalgamation of that. Will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their... I'm going to put it to you another way. And if you guys want to ask me questions, you can text them in. The phone number is in your handout, but also just stay for the deep dive, and I'd love to, uh, to respond to any questions that you have. But there's this working idea that goes like this. There is money to be made by following the path of the kingdoms of this world. There's a lot of money to be made by following the pathways of the kingdoms of this world. But by following the path of the kingdoms of this world, by following the unrighteous path, by following the unwise path, at the end of the day, it ultimately leads to our despair and our destruction. And this is a consistent theme from Genesis all the way uh, to Revelation. I'll put it to you another way. As As a community that tends to define ourselves as individualistic consumers, it is very, very, very tempting to make the almighty dollar the almighty God. 
And the call of wisdom in Proverbs is, if you worship money, if you hold money as your highest value, if you worship the almighty dollar, it may feel good. It may feel like security, but it will ultimately lead to your own ruin. Because money can't save you. It can't protect you. When the day of wrath comes, money is nothing. When the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing. To put it another way, oh, the country people sing about, the country music people sing about this, like you can't take it with you. You guys ever heard, isn't there a song about that? I don't, I'm righteous, so I don't listen to country music, but <laughs> if you're new to Desert Springs and you're still in that repentance phase, I understand maybe you've listened to country music recently. Um, now, some of us are saying, you know, what's, what's wrong with country? And again, Deep dive class, 11 o'clock today, I've got a list. When the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing, and hope placed in wealth, hope placed in wealth, hope placed in the almighty dollar does what? Vanishes. The righteous one is rescued from trouble, and in his place the wicked one goes in. When his mouth, when, uh, with his mouth the ungodly destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous are rescued. When the righteous thrive, now notice this, I just want to lean into this just really briefly. When the righteous thrive, a city rejoices. When the righteous thrive, when those who pick the right path, which way was right? This is the bad way. When the righteous pick the right path, the one that is in line with the wisdom of God woven into the cosmos, the whole city does what? Rejoices. Now I want you to zoom in on this, and I just want to spend just a quick moment here. When the righteous thrive, when the righteous choose the righteous path, the entire city is blessed. I want you to think about why that is. Number one, God calls us that the righteous path is to live righteously even in our economic dealings with one another, which means that we have, hold on, follow me here, that we lead into and we stand for righteous pricing. The way, I told you it was going to get hard on the paint. The way of this world says, how much money can I get out of people for this product? The righteous path is, what is the right amount to charge? You with me? With an, with an eye, and I, you, you, okay, here we go. With an eye to those who are most at risk of being taken advantage of. Righteous pricing. If I may be so bold... Rent has a dramatic impact specifically on those who are most at risk of being taken advantage of. And so, if I may, I told you we're going hard in the paint. If I may, if you are a landlord, there's two questions that you can ask How much can I get out of these people? Or, what is the righteous price with an eye towards those who are most at risk of being taken advantage of? And if you don't take my word for it, go home today and read through the entire book of Proverbs and then design your philosophy of economics. I'm just the guy telling you what I see in the text. Two, equity in our dealings. The question that the righteous path asks is not, can I take advantage of these people? How can I make them vulnerable? How can I make them weak? How can I squeeze every last ounce out of them? The righteous path asks, What is equitable in our dealings here? Whether that's selling a car, selling a product, engaging in the exchange of goods and services, is what is righteous in God's eyes in this dealing. Oh, man. 
Am I looking out? So the book of Philippians says this, and I'll just reframe it like this. Am I looking out for the interests of others more than I look out for my own interests? By the way, for some of us, we're very quiet now. I get it. Me too, man, me too. And we're thinking, okay, this is hard. Yes. There is a reason Jesus said Take up your cross and follow me. To follow the Jesus way is to take up the cross. And here's the hope. Watch me now. Here's the hope. There are two paths we can go down. Wise in our own eyes, wise in God's eyes. And the wise in God's eyes, almost always when it comes to our economic dealings and our dealings with power and influence, almost always it feels like foolishness because it is unless there's a resurrection. This path feels stupid because we're leaving money on the table. And it is stupid unless there's a resurrection. The Jesus way feels ridiculous, so contrary to everything I've ever learned by anyone ever. And it is ridiculous unless there's a resurrection. The resurrection hope of Jesus shows us that choosing the righteous path, even when it means our own sacrifice, is living in line with the wisdom of God that's woven through the cosmos. Uh, There is a scripture, um, uh, excuse me, let me just pull it up here. 1 Corinthians 124, Christ is the power of God and Christ is the Christ is the wisdom of God embodied. Here, let me just give it, I'm gonna shortcut it, then I'm gonna be application, then we'll go. When we're walking the path and we have a choice to make, do I go my own way or do I go God's way? The thing that brings us peace and security is knowing that the wisdom of God has been embodied in Jesus. To put it another way, walking the way of wisdom is simply to follow the way of Jesus. So in any economic dealing that you face, here's my encouragement to you as it relates to the question. How would Jesus engage in this economic dealing? Whether it's the bank you choose to do business with, the investments you seek to make with your 401k, whether it's when you sell the car, how much you charge for that service. The way of wisdom is the way of Jesus. And so let's just check in. Lord, what would you do in this moment? What is right and just according to you, Jesus, in this situation? In the spirit of the living God, I believe that we are promised that in those moments of humility, when we submit ourselves to God, that the spirit of the living God guides us. It's this way. And if we're listening, he'll speak. Now, how do we put this into practice? There are three ways, uh, and I'll just kind of go through this real quick. There are three ways that we can see this, uh, our economic activity in our city. Remember that when the righteous thrive, the city does what? Rejoices. Why? Because people are blessed when the righteous thrive. When the wicked thrive, people are like, "Mm, let's play more country music. Hey, there's three main ways. Number one, relief and aid. When we see an economic need, usually the first response is relief and aid. We see a hungry person, relief and aid is go get a meal. 
Got me? That's usually one-on-one or in small group gatherings, right? There's a hurricane, we send uh, housing supplies, relief and aid. Got me? So in our economic dealings, sometimes we think through relief and aid. Two, to level up, and this requires more people, there's economic development. This would be things like job training, accessibility in the marketplace. Here's another one. For those of you who work in, um, in a business, let me ask you this question. If God's consistently looking out for the needs of the widow, the immigrant, the poor, and the marginalized, how do we as a business create economic opportunity for the widow, the poor, the immigrant, the marginalized? And let me just give you one. Do you know how difficult it is for anyone who's done time in prison to get a job? So one question, I'm just, come on now, one question when we think about community development is this. In my business, in our business, in our economic dealings in this community, am I making space for those who are easy to ignore? By the way, the, uh, the cities notice this, the, the media's notice this, that the uh, unhoused population continues to increase. In fact, the teenage unhoused population in Phoenix is the highest it's ever been by order of magnitude. Okay, and let me just invite you into this. Do you know that from what I understand from people who I've, I've submitted to and who have trained me, that by and large, the poverty that the unhoused experience is not primarily a poverty of money, but a poverty of relationships. There's no one to call. So how do we in our economic dealings create space for those who are unhoused to enter in and to earn and to enter into relationships? And then finally, societal justice. This is when the whole city is working together. We we're seeing woven together in the whole city, whether it's through our government, our economic infrastructure, our road system, all the way down to the banking system and the housing system, when it's all woven together to look like the wisdom that we see in the book of Proverbs. And so if you want to continue the conversation, uh, I want to invite you to text your name to this phone number, 602-560-5067. There's a book uh, written by a guy named Dave Cresta, who's a friend of mine. He's actually here in Phoenix. And he does a deep dive exploration in community development and engagement, especially centered on the church. And we are going to form a team of people who are interested in uh, those different boxes, whether it's relief and aid or community development or societal justice. And we're gonna think through together as a church family with a bunch of other churches, how do we work to do these things, more than just relief and aid, but also community development and also societal justice. And so if you're interested in just having that conversation with a group of people from Desert Springs, just text your name to that phone number, or you can use the next steps card that are available in the back of the seats in front of you, drop them in the box. And so if this is, uh, if this is something that you're passionate about or something that you're curious about, please let us know and we'll form that group uh, and get a time together. All of this is because Jesus first loved us and calls us to walk his path. And so let me pray the Lord's blessing over you right now. Lord Jesus, we love you. We give you thanks for the many blessings that you have given to us. And as we think about economic justice, as we think about using our economic resources and and wisdom in our economic dealings, Lord, we pray that your spirit would move to continue to shape us into the type of people that resemble you, Jesus. And so give to us that wisdom by the power of your spirit, moment by moment, day by day. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.